Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. For the sake of a little context, let's um, read verses 1 through 16. We're actually going to be focusing today on verses 7 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, In the bond of peace, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is sovereign over all, who works through all, who lives and dwells in all. But, and here's where we make our transition today, but... Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain, that's a key word there, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, listen to this carefully, when each part is working properly, key word there, properly. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You can be seated. <clears throat> when we began the study through Ephesians, it's been, it was before Christmas. I don't remember. I guess we began it in November. but So it's been a little while, but I'm praying that you'll remember that one of my goals for going through this was to show you from God's Word, not from my mouth, not from my opinion, but from God's Word, I wanted to show you the importance of the church, the gathered body of believers. I wanted you to see just how vital the gathering of believers is in order for us to become everything that God has called us to be. 
I wanted you to understand that the church is not the building that we gather in. And I know you, for those of you that have been in church any length of time, you've heard that a number of times. But I want you to really begin to see the big picture here of what the church looks like. And that it is the group of the gathered believers coming together for the purpose of glorifying God together in worship and also in worship using our gifts and ministering to one another so that we nourish faith in Christ and that we cause people to grow in their faith. And that is the purpose behind the church and it gathering. That's why we are here. And I want you to understand that the church is God's plan A for your holiness. And there is no plan B. That's a tough statement to make. I want to stop there for just a minute and make sure that you understand when I say this, that no matter what you hear this morning, please don't think for one second that the preacher is trying to point fingers at somebody because they don't, um, they're not a part of the church the way they should be or they're not an active part uh, regularly on any occasion. Uh, if, if, this fall, if you fall under this category this morning, I pray that you don't feel like that anybody's trying to um, point you out or make you feel bad. I want you to understand that this is God trying to teach us. Notice the way that Paul started out in chapter 4 when he said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to do this because this is the goal. This is God's plan. This is what He's trying to accomplish. And so this is an urging from God, a begging, a beseeching to help you realize that there is no plan B for you following God. The church is plan A. And if we don't follow God's plan, I'm sorry to tell you, we're not going to become what God is calling us to become. He did not set up another plan to say, well, if you don't do this, then here's your path. Nowhere in the Word of God will you see that. The truth of the matter is, you only see very few situations to where someone became what God called them to become apart from the gathered body of believers. The thief on the cross was one of them. So I guess if you're in a situation like that, then maybe there is a plan B to that extent. But every other situation we see, God's plan is that He has designed and He has set up believers to be gifted so that they can minister to one another, they can walk in humility, they can walk in gentleness, they can walk in long-suffering, they can walk in forbearance, and they can maintain unity. And as they maintain unity, they can also see the diversity in their unity, and they can recognize the different gifts that God has given each one of them, and we can look for ways to apply them to each other so that we can cause the body to grow itself in love when each part is working properly. But if each part is not working properly, then growth is affected, correct? And so what we want to be able to do this morning is see the importance of the church from the Word of God. Remember, the way that we walk worthy and the way that we maintain unity from chapter 4 is in humility. And this humility produces gentleness. He said, listen guys, you were called to oneness. 
There's one body. There's one Lord. There's one Spirit. There's one calling. There's one hope. There is one that we have all been called together in. And we are to maintain this unity. Keep that in mind. This other part we're going to get to here in a minute says we're to attain to something else. But maintain means that you already possess it. The unity of the Spirit is yours because you've been called into this thing. And now your responsibility is to maintain it. And the way you maintain this unity is by walking in humility. Is by always understanding that I don't deserve to be here at all. And so because of that, that leads me into walking in gentleness. And it leads me to count others as more significant than myself because the truth of the matter is, I am the least worthy to be standing on this stage telling you about the Word of God right now. Sean McKittrick deserves far better to be here than I do. But then his mindset should feel the same way. And your mindset should feel the same way. And when you walk like that, you maintain unity. And then that gentleness leads to long-suffering because you're gentle with others. You don't have a short fuse. You have a long fuse and you're able to be long-suffering. And then because you're long-suffering and you will suffer long, because of that it leads you to forbearance, to bearing with others. And that means to hold up under others' faults and failures. It means to literally put a blanket over, to cover it in love. And so if you're not forbearing and you don't hold up under other people's faults and failures, then you're not going to be long-suffering. Instead, you're going to have a short fuse because you can't bear with it. And so your fuse goes off. And when your fuse goes off, you're no longer gentle, right? And then when you're no longer gentle, the root of it is because humility is missing. But if we walk in humility, we can maintain this unity that He's given. And the reason why this unity is so important is because we get into verse 7 today where He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. So here's the big picture that I want you to be able to see. We must maintain unity. And the reason we must maintain unity is because God has designed this thing, His temple, His body that He's coming to live in. Y'all remember that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. Let's read that real quick. He says, You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so one of the things that Paul wants you to see here is that God is trying to... not trying. God is building a home for Him to come and dwell in. You remember in the Garden of Eden when it said that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day? He is bringing us back to that place to where we have a relationship and a fellowship with Him that He resides with us. In His Spirit, He lives with you. 
He lives and resides in you, in your inner man. And so we need to make sure we understand that He's building us together into this dwelling place. And if God is building this dwelling place, and the design that He's given is that each individual member use their gifts in order to build this thing up, then how important is maintaining unity? And so He's telling you here, I'm begging you, because God is building a house, because God wants a place to live, and you are that place. The God of all creation. You know the problem that we have with this? We don't see that as a big thing. We don't see that as a big thing. We're not like Solomon. We don't look at it when Solomon built the temple of God. He built the temple by hands and then he looked at it and he said, Will God surely dwell on earth in this place? Behold, the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain Him. He saw this as such an impossible thing. This was a massive event. And so he was willing to do whatever it took in order to make this happen. You know, we don't see this as a big thing. That God of all creation, whom the heavens and the highest heavens can't contain Him, He wants to live and be at home with you. And because He's trying to build this house... He tells us, guys, you have to be eager to maintain this unity in the Spirit, in the bond of peace. And so we have here today that even though we have unity and we must have unity, He makes this transition in verse 7 and He says here in Ephesians 4 verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, there is, there is diversity in unity. Unity does not mean that we all have to be the same and that we all have to do the same things and that we all have to act the same ways. No, there is diversity in this unity. And God designed it that way. He meant for you to be unique. And He meant for you to operate according to His design. So He says, but... So see this transition... Unity is vital because of God's design. But diversity is vital. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And in verse 8 he says, Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led, hosts, he led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. And so one of the things He wants you to understand is that Jesus Christ gave gifts to all believers, here's my first point if you're taking notes this morning. If you want a point, here's your first one. Christ has given every believer a spiritual gift. Let me say that one more time. Just in case you think you got left out somewhere along the way, because I'm going to tell you why you may think you got left out here in just a minute. Christ has given every believer a spiritual gift. It says there in verse 8 that when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Here's what Paul is doing. He's going back to Psalm 68 and he's taking a psalm that David wrote whenever they had conquered Jerusalem and they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant. David was leading them, but the Ark of the Covenant was leading David. So the presence of God was ascending to the highest hill. 
In this time, the great kings after their battles, they would find the highest hill to ascend to. And they would lead their host. And most of the time, these captives that he's talking about were people that belonged to them that they had went and recovered. And so he says here that when God ascended on high in Jerusalem and He conquered this city, that in Psalm 68 it says that He ascended to the top of this hill and that He gave gifts to men. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying this was a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ was going to do for you and I. Jesus Christ, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives. He came down here and He conquered sin, He conquered death, He conquered Satan, and when He did that, He released you and I from our captivity because we belong to God before the foundations of the earth, right? Ephesians chapter 1. And He released us from the bondage of our sin and He led a host of captives. And then, as He led this host of captives, He gave gifts to men. How do we know that Paul's talking about Jesus? Well, he goes on to explain in verse 9. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9, look what he says. In saying that He ascended, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Paul is saying that this was a foreshadow of saying that the reason He ascended was because He first had to descend. Can God Himself ascend any higher than He is? So the only way God can ascend is if He first does what? So He says, in saying He ascended, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Go to verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. Here's what you need to understand. Christ descended from heaven to earth, right? He was born in a manger, born a human being, born in humility. He lived this life obedient to God. He died for the sins of mankind, defeating Satan, defeating all the the requirements that held us in sin. The book of Colossians says He nailed it to the cross. He ascended on high, setting captives free, and then giving gifts to men. He has authority to give gifts because He is the one that is the victor over all and has set each and every one of us free. And Christ says here, Paul says here, Christ has given gifts to men. And every one has received a gift. Look what he said again in verse 7 of Ephesians 4. But grace was given to each one of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 11 actually tells us the same thing. If you want to turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Look at what he says. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. I'm going to keep reading to make my point, but notice what Paul's doing here. The same thing he's doing in Ephesians. He's saying there is unity because we have the same Lord, the same everything, but there is variety and there is diversity in this unity. And then keep going with me in verse 7. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To who? To each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Keep that in mind. That's why it's given to you. For the common good. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Here's one thing I want you to catch in this. He wants you to understand that God has given each and every one of you a gift. This is not a natural ability. Don't think for one second that your natural ability is necessarily your spiritual gift. God could empower that natural ability to be used for the common good. And so yes, it can be. But these spiritual gifts are things that we should be able to see as we surrender ourselves wholly to God. You know, here's the problem. And I taught this Wednesday night. I'm not going to go back to it today. But in Romans chapter 12, whenever... um, Yeah, I am going back to it today. Romans chapter 12. Go back with me there. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. Or actually, start in verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What did they do to sacrifices in the Old Testament? Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. For, look at verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And then he names off some things. Here's what I want you to understand. Y'all stay with me. This is important. Each person has been given a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of the building of the body of Christ. You're not left out. But most of us, you remember a few weeks ago when I said you can't get to step two until you get past step one? If you don't know what your gift is, it's possible that you just can't see it. That's possible. But a more likely scenario is this. You can't use and recognize your gift for the common good of the church until you have first surrendered your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Surrender to the Spirit of God. Same thing he said in Ephesians. Pray for the Spirit. Pray for strength in the Spirit in the inner man so that Christ can be at home in my heart so that I can have the fullness of God so that we can get to chapter 4. The problem is most of you never get to see the manifestation of the Spirit in your life because you don't get past step 1. 
You never truly surrender to God. You never truly throw your hands of rebellion up to say, God, I don't want my life. I don't want my way. I don't want my version of right and wrong. I want you to take over. I'm going to follow you. You teach me and I submit to you. When that moment comes in your life, you're going to begin to recognize the manifestation of the Spirit in your life you will be able to see certain gifts and certain things that He's given you. This is how I found out that I'm supposed to be a teacher. I'm supposed to be a preacher. It came during that time in my life to where I set everything else to the side. And I, I only, I'm ashamed to tell you today that I'm not today where I was back then. That's just the truth of it. I need to repent and I need to get back to that place. But I remember that time in my life that nothing was more important to me than spending time with God. Nothing. I had that time. And I remember that it was during that time that He began to open up things in His Word to me and show me things from His Word like I had never seen before in my life. And I want you to understand that the same thing will happen to you once you get past step one. But you can't get to step two till you go past this step right here. And so, one of the things that I want you to understand is that, let me, let me tell you this, most of you have heard this, but we got visitors and some people that don't know this. When I was in elementary school, I was, um, I was in special ed classes for reading comprehension and speech all the way up through, I don't remember what grade, most of my elementary school. They, they always told my mom and they told me he can't understand what he reads. He never comprehends what he reads. And so they worked with me for years and years and years. I was in speech class for years and years and years. I guess I couldn't get my S's right. I don't know. But, um, but I was in speech class for years and years. And I want you to think about something. Why is it today that all of a sudden the two very things that I spent my whole life being told that I couldn't do and I didn't possess and I didn't have, why is it today that reading comprehension is the very thing that allows me to do what I do right now? And that speech is what I do every time I stand before you. I want to tell you something. God will give you a spiritual gift and it might be the very thing that you've never been able to do your whole life. Might be. But one thing about it, you'll know it when you see it. And you'll know how to follow it. You'll know how to utilize this gift. But each one has received a gift. And so I pray that you look for your gift, you look for ways. And again, these are manifestations of Spirit. He goes to list a bunch of them. He says, um, and uh, you could go through this right here, um, prophecy. He says here that prophecy is this. It is speaking the inspired Word of God. You remember in the Old Testament, the valley of the dry bones, whenever God told Ezekiel, He said, prophesy to these bones. Say to these bones, thus says the Word of the Lord. Stand up, put flesh on, live and breathe. Prophecy is not necessarily speaking future events. Now did it entail that? If God gave them a future event and inspired them to speak it, yes. But prophecy is simply this. Taking the inspired Word of God and then speaking it to the people. In a sense, what I'm doing right now is prophecy. 
The more correct term I think that this was talking about in this day was the ones who were writing the Bible. The ones who were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they were taking the words of God and they were delivering them to man. But prophecy in its fullest meaning absolutely means taking anyone who takes the inspired Word of God and then they deliver it to the people of God. And so maybe that's a gift. In 1 Corinthians you saw that a gift was the utterance of wisdom. That some people has an ability to speak wisdom. Some people have the ability to speak knowledge. Some people have the, the gift of faith. He said here, I, I have known people, and I'm not going to call them out this morning, but they're here. But I've known people that, man, they just trust God. I can't explain this to you any other way than just, I don't care how little the situation is, I don't care what you're trying to do, they just know that, man, we just need to trust God. And God's going to do this. He can do this. And I'm going to tell you, I wished I had that kind of faith. I have the gift of being able to speak the inspired Word of God and deliver the Word of God to people, but the gift to just be able to have a heart that just trusts God, that is a gift that not a lot of people have. There are other gifts. Let me see what some more I've got. Um, uh, Speaking wisdom, speaking knowledge, faith. There was healing, gifts of healing. There were miracles, gifts of prophecy, gifts of discernment being able to discern between uh, good spirits and, and bad leading spirits. There were gifts of various tongues, gifts of interpretation. And these are not exhaustive lists. In First Peter, he actually tells us, he sums it up into two categories of gifts. He says there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Some gifts are used in the ability of speaking and leading and teaching. And then there are other gifts that fall under the category of just services. Hospitality. There are some people that are just just uh, have an extra gift of hospitality. And so there are any way that works to the common good of the body of Christ that God empowers you to use that for that purpose, He's saying here, each one of you has received a gift. And then He goes on in both Romans and Corinthians and He says, listen church, don't anyone start thinking that because you're not a hand that you're not needed. Because you're part of the body. Can the, can the hand say to the foot that because you're not a hand, I don't need you? No. And so, no matter where you go, Paul is making sure we understand that there are people that have gifts that are very presentable and that you can see. And there are those that have gifts that some people would be tempted to look at and go, well, they're not really needed. And then Paul makes a purpose to say in 1 Corinthians, those gifts are actually more important than the presentable gifts. So we see here that everyone has received a gift. The next point, if you're writing points down. These gifts are given in proportion to Christ's measurement. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Listen, every gift, even though it may be the same gift, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be unique in the measurement and the portion that God gives in it. Take me and Nick, for example. Me and Nick are both teachers. We're both preachers. We're both pastors. Many ways our ministries walk side by side and are the same in a lot of ways. 
But I can tell you and Nick can tell you that in many ways our ministries are nothing alike. Nick's ministry is unique to the proportion of grace that God has given Nick. My ministry is, is in its proportion and measurement that Christ has given me. And your ministry is the same way. Did you know that there are 7.5 billion people in this earth and not another one of them has the same fingerprint as you? God is not in the business of making things the same. God is in the business of distinction. God is in the business of uniqueness. Your voice is not like anyone else's in the world. 7.5 billion people. And there are distinct differences in every single voice. Your DNA, even if you are an identical twin, is not identical to your identical twin's DNA. 7.5 billion people in the world, and look at His creation. Look at trees, look at plants, look at bugs. God is not in the business of making everybody the same. He's in the business of distinctiveness. He's in the business of uniqueness. And He means for Nick to operate in the gift that He's given. And, and Kevin will never be able to look at Nick and go, well, I'm better, my gift's better than Nick's gift. You know why? Because same reason that Paul said right here. But what was given to each one of us? Does it have anything to do with Kevin? Does it have anything to do with Nick? Let me tell you something. All Nick can do is operate in the grace that God has given him. He can't go above this. He can't go below this. All he can do is operate in that grace. Only thing I can do, I will never be able to attain to a, a John MacArthur status. God didn't make me to be John Piper or John MacArthur or Billy Graham or, or anybody else. God designed me to be me. And He gave me my gift for the common good of the body to operate in the gift with the capacity and the measurement that He's given me. And He means for me to be unique. He don't mean for Sean McKittrick to be like me. He don't mean for Andrew Gallagher to be like Ronnie Lee. They're not supposed to be the same. If you're looking for somebody just like you in your ministry, I'm sorry to tell you this, you're always going to be looking. You're not going to find another worship leader like Chris Shell. It's just facts of it. Because he is operating in the gift and the ability and the measurement that Christ has given to him. If, uh, just a couple more places to show you this. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 6. We're going to rotate through those just a little bit. <clears throat> he says, for by the grace given to me, here we see it again, Paul saying, listen, even what I do, this dude wrote the Bible, y'all. Can I say that one more time? This guy wrote the Bible. And he said, for I say, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned Paul a measure of faith. He's assigned you a measure of faith and a measure of grace. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one, one of another, having then gifts that differ according to what? The grace given us. 
So no matter where you go, Paul is telling you two things here. First thing was my first point. Every one of you have a gift. Each one of you. You may not have seen it yet. You may not know how to operate in it yet. But if you keep listening and keep trusting, you'll find it. And you'll notice here in a minute in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, he's going to tell you that some of the gifts he gave were leaders in the church. And the purpose of the leaders in the church were to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Part of my responsibility is to speak this truth to you so that you can see it, you can begin praying for it, you can begin looking for it, and you can begin trying to find a way to be the, for the common good of the building of this temple that God is trying to build. Do y'all see this big picture yet? Go with me to uh, Ephesians chapter... I'm sorry, not Ephesians. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. I'm not going to read through the whole thing again because they're all saying the same thing. But I just want to make my point. Verse 11. All these, after naming off all these gifts, he says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one, what? Individually. He apportions to each one individually as He wills. Guys, please listen to this. God knows how to build Wells Baptist Church. We want to look around and go, man, these parts God put together, I, I don't know about this. God knows what He's doing. He knows what He's doing. And He knows how to empower each one to use the portion of gift that He's given them as He wills for the growth of the body of Christ. And so each one has been given a gift. These gifts are given in proportion to Christ's measurement. And my last point today, He gave these gifts for the building of the body of Christ. Let me say those three points one more time. Every individual has a gift. Every individual has been given the correct measurement of that gift that Christ means for you to have and He knows what He's doing. And then finally, each member has been given this gift in the measurement that it has for the purpose of building this body. And when I say this body, I'm talking about the house that God is designing to live in. This is His holy temple. And each gift is here to build it. And so, God is building us together. You remember? He's building us together into His dwelling place in the Spirit. He means for us to continue the mission of Christ. That's the reason He calls us the body of Christ. He means for us to continue perfecting the saints, growing in holiness. He means for us to continue the Great Commission, reaching out and making more disciples. He means for us to work the works of love just like Christ did out of this body. And so each one of us have been given a gift to help us grow in those things and to help us achieve all of those things to become the dwelling place of God and to become the body of Jesus Christ. And then go back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. Because now he lays out just a few gifts that he wants you to understand in the church. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2 he said the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
He's saying here that He gave first the people that will lay the foundation for the church, the apostles and the ones who wrote the Bible, the ones who gave us the Word of God that we follow. And then He gave the evangelists, the people that will go out and make more disciples, the people that, that, that have a leadership a gift. And now listen, this is not a cop-out for anybody, but I want you to know because it's truth from the Scripture. Not everybody is gifted with the gift of evangelism. There are some people that literally have an empowerment from God to just spread the gospel. There are some people that, but now, and at the same token, we're all given the command to share our faith. But it may not mean that your responsibility is to hit the road and to go to other countries or other cities or other communities and actually share the gospel in that aspect of it. But he's talking about leaders in the church here. That we understand that there are evangelists that he has given for the growth of this body. And then there are shepherds or pastors as me and Nick do. We lead the direction of the church. And then there are teachers. And there are people who actually help you interpret the Word of God. And help you be able to see the truth of what it says. And the purpose behind this is to, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Our responsibility as leaders in the church, He gave you leaders in the church so that you can be equipped. Now going back to my goal, how important is the church right now? It's vital. There is no plan B. This is plan A. Nick and I, all your teachers, your, your leaders in any aspect in this place, we have a responsibility to equip you. My responsibility is not to entertain you. I started to look for a joke to tell you. Not that it would have been wrong. No, it's good to laugh. Laughter's from God and that's fun. But I started to look for a joke to tell you to start to, because I thought, man, this thing is dry, God. That's what I told him. I said, God, this, this sermon is just dry. Ain't going to be eyes closed all over this place. As I was putting it together, I thought, man, this, this thing's just dry. It's kind of boring. It don't really have no pizzazz to it. and I need a little something to throw in here. And God said, no, you don't. Why do you need pizzazz? The Word of God ain't, ain't pizzazz enough. We'll get into that here in just a little bit further. But He says that my job is to equip you to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, here is the goal. Until we all attain, not maintain, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. The purpose that he wants us to understand here is that we have leaders and teachers that their role is to equip you and teach you in such a way that we come to a common ground of the truth of Scripture. That we can all stand together and I, I, I open this Word to you in such a way that you can look at it and go, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what He's saying. That's exactly what God is trying to get across to us. And my job is to help us to attain a unity of the faith. Now, how many of you can look around at our denominations and at our churches today and know that we have not yet quite attained a unity of faith? But with gifted leaders, and that's the reason why it's important to make sure your leaders know what they're talking about, you're not looking for some entertaining preacher. 
You're not looking for somebody that just can, can make you feel good when you leave here. You're not looking for somebody that has crafty designs and somebody that's able to just do things that just make you really uh, feel good about being a church. You're looking for gifted leaders that can speak the truth in love and you can understand it in such a way that we can come to attain the unity of the faith. And the reason why we have not attained it yet is because there are very few places anymore with gifted leaders. I say that by the grace given to me and Nick. I'm not saying that because we're any better than anybody else, but let's just face it. How many churches can you go to today and hear the truth of God's Word? There's not a lot. And so we need to make sure that we are looking for these gifted leaders and that we see that they are equipping us for the work of the ministry and that we are learning the truth of the Word of God. And then ultimately, he says here in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, or in verse 13, I'm sorry, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. He says here that this common truth that we attain from good leaders and good teachers leads us to a deep knowledge of Christ. That's what it means whenever he says to the knowledge of the Son of God. That word knowledge means a deep knowledge. It means that we actually come to a place to where I know Him. I know Jesus. Listen to the way that Paul put it. Nathan, I gave you the wrong verse. It's actually supposed to be Philippians. I wrote Colossians down here. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Here's what he said. Paul said, that I may know Him and that I may know the power of His resurrection, that I may share His sufferings, that I may become like Him in His death. He says here that I just want to know Him. And the way that we know Him is that we come to, from good leaders and good teachers, we come to attain the knowledge of the Son of God. We come to attain the truth of the Scripture. And then keep going with me. He says, whenever we are attaining the knowledge and we are knowing Jesus Christ, then we come to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning. That word cunning, listen to what this means. It means being crafty in the use of special resources like skills. Being crafty in the use of special resources. That struck me. That's, that's the number one reason why I didn't come to you this morning trying to entertain you. Listen to what he said again. By human cunning, by being crafty in the use of of special resources like skill, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. But instead, what's that first word of verse 15? Rather. In other words, here's what I want your leaders and I want your church to do in order to come to this mature manhood, in order to come to this measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ, in order to know Him and to be like Him, in order to do that, rather, here's what you do. Speak the what? I have one responsibility to you this morning, and it's not to keep you awake. 
my success when I stand before God will not be whether I had a good joke to tell you. And again, I say that to understand that there's nothing wrong with me being able to do that. There's not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that here's my main purpose right here. My main purpose is I should not be worried to myself about whether or not this is going to be entertaining enough. Do you see that? Not that it's wrong to have a joke or entertainment, but that's not my goal. My goal is to speak the truth in love so that we are to what? Grow up in what? Every way. So that you grow up here in unity of faith. So that you grow up in knowledge of the Son of God. So that you grow up in the measure and the stature of Christ. If I speak the truth of God in love to you, And let me tell you what the truth of God is speaking to you this morning. The church is God's design for you to be the Christian that He's called you to be. You will not do it without unity, so we have to maintain it, and I'm begging you to do it. And you will not do it without diversity, so I'm begging you to stay humble in your gifts. And I'm begging you to use those gifts. I'm begging you to have good leaders and good teachers. And I'm begging you to not worry about being uh, crafty or to be cunning. Rather, speak the truth in love. And if you do that, the church will grow up. The church will actually grow up. And he says they'll grow up into in every way into Him who is the head, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it does what? Guys, can you see that this is not my opinion? The church and what we are doing right here is plan A. There is no plan B. If you believe, and again, I pray that this is not convicting, or, or I don't know, I don't pray it's not convicting. I pray that you don't feel like this is something that, that I'm just trying to make somebody feel bad. I'm not. I want you to see from the Word of God how vital this is. I want you to see from the Word of God how vital you are. Do you see here that when when each part is working properly, what happens when a part is not here? This is one of our primary reasons, one of the reasons that we do small groups. I get it. Today, listen, we don't live in the world we used to live in to where everybody's off on Sundays and Wednesdays anymore, do we? Let's just face it. There's some of you that in order to provide for your families, guess what? But surely, we got a small group that meets on Monday night. We got a small group that meets on Tuesday night. We got a Bible study that meets here on Wednesday night. We got a small group that meets on Thursday nights. We got a small group that meets on Friday night. We got, well, I don't think we have one that meets on Saturday. But Sunday, I think you've got two, fixing to be three, that meet here on Sunday. Do you really mean to tell me 
I ain't even got to finish yet, do I? And so again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel small. I'm trying to help you understand that we need you. And let me tell you this, you need us. We need each other. And we need to be using our gifts and for the common good of God building this body. And how does He build it? When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it does what? Now God empowers each gift, right? Given by the Holy Spirit. We're surrendering to Him. We're following Him. But as each one of us are doing our part, the body builds itself. God has designed this thing to be self-growing. I think we miss this so much. And so, I'm begging you. Will you see how important you are? Will you see how important we are? Will you see that you cannot do this? There is no other way. Do, you, do I have to actually come out and put in layman's terms what I mean by that? You're not going to make it unless you're the thief on the cross or there's some other absolute special circumstance there. You're not going to make it apart from God's design. That ain't some pastor up here trying to get more people in the pews. I wish the place was packed today to hear this. Weather kept a few people at home. I understand that, or I guess I do. This ain't some pastor just trying to convince people to come to church. No, I'll do it with a handful at my house. I sure will. Been tempted to do it a time or two, but God told me how bad I needed you. <clears throat> but this is about you coming to understand that there is no plan B. This is plan A. And I pray that you see that as a good thing and that you walk worthy of the calling to which He's called you to in all humility and gentleness and long-suffering in bearing with one another's faults and failures, eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace and have this unity but see the diversity that's in it and allow each one to use their diversity. Now listen, you go, sometimes the reason why you can't use your gift yet is because you need to be equipped to use it. Don't just mean that all of a sudden you've got it all figured out and you're ready to go in there. This is what I can do. No, sometimes you've got to back up. You've got to be equipped. Sometimes it takes time for you to be taught humility, gentleness, kindness, all of these things before you're ready to start going in and utilizing this gift. But either way, you've been given a gift and God wants to use it. And So I pray that you recognize our need for you and your need for us.